In the following live stream recording, Tony Neal, state missionary with Church Administration and Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about contribution credits, restricted offerings, and the church. Churches need to be aware of what can and cannot be included in a donor contribution statement or letter. Tithes, restricted offerings, and the accounting of each have legal requirements for the church. This session will help the listener to know what churches must do and avoid in order to operate legally and above reproach. Let's join Tony now. When we do stuff for the church, sometimes it's, um, and I, this has come to my attention, uh, we, we want to know what, what do we have to do, what do we need to do. And some of our churches uh, in recent times have called me and said, well, is that best practice or is that a law? And they want to know what is the specific code in the law instead of asking is that a best practice now. It's gotten to the point that they just want to know what they have to do standardly to get by. And so I want to call you to, if you're in, if you're in this class and you're in this group and you do finances or work with finances in your church or, or you oversee it, maybe you're the pastor, but whatever it is, we want to do this above reproach. This is a reflection of what we think about our relationship with Christ and how important it is to protect those assets and to take care of those and, and to do it in a manner that reflects the reputation of Christ. And so, um, and, and so stating I uh, have gone and tomorrow I brought in a fraud examiner who has helped five churches this year uh, that I've referred of Southern Baptist, so she's probably helped other churches, but she's done fraud exams that we've discovered in in five churches so uh, we've got to do a good job of internal control even though we think why would anybody or could anybody uh, take God's money uh, we're going to talk about internal controls tomorrow but today um, I'm going to talk about contribution credits designated funds because we've got to do those the best we can uh, to make sure that the, it's legitimately documented also legally documented but also to make sure that we're above reproach because if the IRS comes in and something has happened in your church, even if you do something minimally, it was just an honest mistake, if people hear that the IRS said you did something wrong, they become suspicious of how you take care of the finances. And they're not going to give. If people are suspicious of finances, they don't give as well. So we're, 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 it's important that we do it right so that we're uh, held to a higher level than just what we get by with or what does the law uh, require that we do. So uh, if you will open your folders, there's a green book that we'll use in a minute, but the, the documents, the church financial hot topics, do you have a folder? Okay, I'm just making sure. I don't want to, I was like, okay, I put some in every chair or most of this here. Um, the, the church contribution credit page, I want to go through that because that's the basis for Anything that we do as a designated fund or through the general fund, first and foremost, we need to understand what is allowed to be on that contribution statement, okay? Because that's the, really the only real thing, other than handling the designated fund, that you can get you in trouble with the IRS uh, as far as handling the contributions. Because uh, if they audit a church, they need to, they're gonna, they may come in through that one route where uh, one of your members gave so much money, they got audited, and they're auditing that statement. If they find that you've got problems with your statement, then they could come and audit the church. 
there's really nothing you send in other than payroll that there would be any other reason for the IRS to show up at your door other than misusing funds or misreporting something that was on somebody else's tax return because you're not filing a tax return as a church other than payroll. So on that contribution document, I'm going to zip through it, but you can stop me, raise your hand, say hey, or just shout out or whatever it is. I'll be glad to help you. But um, on the contribution document, first and foremost, the only thing that can go on your contribution statements is cash or cash equivalents. Checks, debit cards, online giving, and so forth. Okay, to be on the do on that document, it needs to be cash or cash equivalent. So stock and other stuff, those don't go on there. If somebody buys something and gets reimbursed or doesn't want to get reimbursed, just put it on my statement. You can't do that. Okay, there's ways of getting contribution or be deductible, but that would be a letter and they would keep their receipt to say what they purchased to provide or so and so forth. Or if somebody donated land, you would write them a letter then you would have documentation from an appraisal that they had paid for, they take care of. You're not in the appraising business, you're not accepting anybody's appraisal, your letter just says what they gave. Okay, you're not gonna put, even if they give you a receipt, you still don't put the receipt amount, you tell them use your receipt, that's your proof, okay? Um, so the only thing on their statement is cash or cash equivalent. The second thing is it has to be received in the calendar year or be postmarked by the calendar year or electronically marked by the end of the calendar year. So just because the church wasn't open on December 31st and they come in on January 1 on, on that Sunday and say, oh, well, I wrote it yesterday, you can only count it the, the year that you received it. If they needed it counted, then they should have either done it online or they should have put it in the mail and postmark, had postmarked. So uh, I've had that call almost every year. There's three, two or three churches that they receive some money from somebody that's pretty significant, and that person was trying to get a deduction, and they bring it in on January 1 or 2 or 3, and you can't count it for last year. Uh, so it has to be received or postmarked or electronically marked. Also, number three, the church credit is only for voluntary donations made without the donor receiving or having the possibility of receiving anything a material or tangible benefit if you sell raffle tickets or if you sell tickets anything you provide something where they could even possibly receive something even if they didn't win the raffle is not deductible okay so a lot of times we do fundraisers and I made the joke last week and people thought it was hilarious and so I'll say it but you don't have to laugh because I've already kind of Thanks. built it up. But if you're going to uh, raffle off an AK-47 at the church, you know, and everybody buys a $100 ticket so they could get a chance to win an AK-47, the people that didn't win don't get to ride it off. Okay? And go even go as far as to say $100 tickets for a, a year's lease of a Mercedes. Whatever you want to say that you're, you're offering that lottery or raffle thing up for, and I, I kind of cringe at it because my uh, former compadre who retired, uh, Keith Hamilton, a couple of years ago, he didn't believe in, in any kind of fundraising of such with, with, with raffle or chance. So, uh, I, I, but I always mention it because that gave you even just the chance of receiving something. But if you sell chicken queue tickets and you say, well, I didn't go, I donated them, 
don't do that. They don't don't buy the chicken coop. Just make a donation. Don't buy the chicken coop tickets because you had the chance of receiving it. Even if you said, "Oh no, I gave them back." Well, that's not. It's still not a donation. Just write a check for a donation. Can I ask uh, a question? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I I think I know the answer, but we have Wednesday night suppers, and I have several folks who send the check. The bank sends their time and check to the church, and they either include or say this includes four meals for the month or whatever. Now I know that when I post it to their giving rack, I mean that's not included. I mean they're chicken, and I and I wouldn't be responsible, or the church would not be responsible, if they go see they make the check to First Baptist Church for the total amount, and it and. I guess they could, if they wanted to cheat, they could say, well, the whole $500 or whatever went to the church. They didn't deduct the, the, the meal out of it. Is there anything wrong with, with their doing it that way? I would highly recommend that you not receive checks that involve Wednesday night suppers also with their tithe and offering. However, if, the, if they do, then you need to deduct that on the statement. Yeah, yeah, and, and truthfully, I would actually write them a separate letter for the, their donation. So they don't get a contribution statement. They get a, st a statement that says, you wrote checks for this much. This much was for Wednesday night suppers that you stated. And then I would say this this much was part of your general tithes and offerings. So and on these are, and do all the place. list on it, but put it on church letterhead saying that for the things that were general ties and offerings, no goods or services were given in return. However, the Wednesday night suppers are not deductible. I would be very specific. I would I would highly say, no, we're not doing that. Now, just send me a separate check. Send me a separate check. Um, because you can't put them on a normal contribution statement because at the bottom it says no goods or services were received in return. Well, the checks you got are not going to match up with the amounts you've put in there. So then if you were audited, they would say, wait a minute, you've got these different checks. How do you do that? How do you know they didn't receive other things? Then all of a sudden the statement becomes quote questionable whether the statement really was no goods or service. How do you know? So I would go back to say... It's separated on my records, but, but their records are not separated as well. Well, now they can't use their record. That's the other thing, what That's you what brought up. Their record, uh, if, you, if you're audited, you have to have a documented contribution statement from a 501c3 prior to you filing your taxes. So it doesn't matter that they've got checks. So their checks are not going to substantiate it, but I would definitely do, if you, if if there are people who don't write their own checks, and I've, I've got a great aunt who's 94, and when she makes, you know, things, she might put everything all in one, so I could understand why some people might say, I need to do it that way, but I would give them a separate contribution document, which would actually be a letter, and it would spell out which were which, these are the total amounts you paid. These, this much was your Wednesday nights on these dates, and this much was your other on these dates. Only the ones that were to the tithes and offering are eligible for treatment. So I would not use this regular general contribution document because that won't match up with the checks you received. That's the reason, not, not because you can't do it, but because it, it doesn't match up with the checks received. So it's not easily traced in an audit. Thank you. Hopefully you're never audited. By the, just as a general, churches don't generally get audited. There's a few random audits, very few, very, very few. But if you draw attention, like I said, if something goes wrong on your contribution statement or on somebody that gets audited, 
if somebody reports you for misusing funds for designated funds like we're going to talk about in a minute or if your one of your employees gets audited who their w-2 is mistaken those are really the only real reasons because you're not filing an income you're not quote unquote paying income tax or filing an income tax return as a church so we've got to do all these things right to make sure that we're not and you can't control what somebody would go and report because somebody could make a false accusation. That's why you've got to make sure that your designated fund record keeping and other stuff is so uh, tightly kept and make sure that you're doing it right because if somebody makes a false accusation or they don't like what ended up happening with that designated fund because let's just say sometimes we have a designated fund for a building. If they don't like the way the building decision was made as a, as a body, even though you build a building, they might still make a false accusation. So it still usually gets investigated. If false use of funds for a nonprofit, that's usually one of the, the keys for getting you on the radar. So you want to make sure you've done everything above reproach in that in that. So, excuse me, so we don't have to do that, right? Because I mean, we, I mean it would uh, go I would, from like camp. No, I, I would mean, tell sometimes them. Sometimes I have had calls would, where it's like, they're, we're off by, and I'm like, remember your child went to camp or something. No. So we don't have to do that, only if they were to request it. If they requested it and you choose to do it, I would send back checks, hold out checks that have commingled co reimbursements or payments with their tithing offering. Okay, you can make donations on one check for several different, if we have a designated fund, a general fund and stuff, you can have different splits there. But gotcha. if it's a reimbursement, you need to write a separate check for a reimbursement. Or give cash. That would be my policy. That's best practice. Now it's not a law. It's just best practice. <laughs> um, number four, the donation must be to and for the use of the church. Okay, they can't control it. If if and when this is going to come up in some of your churches, if somebody is sick and the church wants to help them, they can't write a check and say on the memo line for such and such. Okay. We can't give money directed to individuals for benevolence. You need a benevolent policy, a benevolent fund, and we'll talk about that in the designated fund part in a few minutes. But to and for the use of the church means if there's a benevolence fund, they give it to the benevolence fund. The church makes a decision about the application process and how much they're going to help people. They can't say you have to dictate this money to or through somebody. In fact, if they say, well, I don't need a contribution, I just want them to anonymously give the money, have them get cash, put it in an envelope and have a deacon deliver it or something. Don't run it through the church's coffers. Okay, you really don't want to be a pass-through conduit. Let me tell you, if it's over $15,000 or $16,000 a year, you have to file a gift tax return as an individual. Well, somebody's up to 16, they might say, oh, I'll just give it through this and then I'll have to file a gift tax return. Even if they wouldn't owe gift tax, theoretically, because 16 is not gonna, 17 or 20 is not gonna trigger gift tax unless you've given so much over so many periods of years, but you do have to file a return. So they might not want to have to pay to have that return filed, or maybe they've over the time they've exceeded it and they know, hey, I don't want to do this, so I'm not going to report it. I'm going to give it through the church or give it through somebody. Don't don't misunderstand. It's not quote unquote exactly laundering, but it is tax avoidance. So we don't need to be the participants in that. Um, number five, the proof burden of proof uh, for a contribution is on is not on the church; it's on the individual. So you have to do those documents before they can file their return. They need a contribution statement, and contribution statements are important. 
Uh, contribution statement is convicting. It helps people educationally understand, you know, how it adds up or how little they gave, either way. Uh, but it also is the only way they can write it off on their taxes. If they don't have a contribution statement and they file their taxes, if they are audited and they have a document from you that's later than their filing date, they can disallow those. So they need to wait and get their contribution statements or we need to put them out in a timely fashion. But secondly, if we forget to put the statement, which is on that section five down on number four, no goods or services are provided in exchange for the contribution other than intangible religious benefit. If we don't have a statement like that on there, that can be disallowed in an audit. And literally, there's a court case, if you get the church and clergy tax guide, there's a court case where a church forgot to put it on there, the guy filed his taxes, the auditor disallowed it, the church said, we're sorry, we made a mistake, issued a new one, he still lost. The auditor got it taken off of his tax return. It has to be a, it has to be a correct documentation. And we, if we, guess what probably happened? He probably never wrote another check to that church. Okay, so we've got to do it right for their protection and for our protection, but in this case, it was for his protection, for the giver's protection. So on that statement that he needs, he also has to have each donation date. You can't just put a summary of the total they gave for that year. You need to put the date and the, and the amount each date. I like to put the check, then they can line it up, and if they come back and say something didn't come through or something, they have to tell you the check number, You've got a way of saying, no, no, here it is on this date, you know, so forth. Um, generally, it's not required for you to put the check numbers on your statements, but you are going to want it. So if you have to go back and, and determine yourself, if they come in and say something's not on their statement, you can go back and see the check numbers and see that. So I just put it on the statement. Also, it depends on your software, if you're doing it through the software. Uh, if you're doing the handwritten ones, uh, there's places for it on some of them, there's places not on it for some of them. Some of them just have the date and the amount. Uh, it's really up to you how you proceed with that. Uh, it's not required that you put the check number. It just helps with uh, if there's ever a discrepancy. But you cannot put summary. No, you, no mm -mm. a summary. I did not know that. You can't send a letter out that says you gave this much last year. That will not suffice in an audit. Okay. It could cost them. Right, it could cost them. So I sent out the letter like that, but I have it stapled to their you, list. Right, you can put a summary on the on a letter, but you've got to have well, a listing. Software will break it apart. I'll just for cleaner just been doing the summary, you know, for each. Yeah, I'd let the software print your statements, and it should. Yeah. If you, I don't know, do you have Power Church? Yes. Okay, Power Church knows to put each date yeah. of giving, so just yeah. let it print your statements, and you'll be done with it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to put a letter in front for everybody and have a blank to fill in the number, or if you want to change it for everybody, I would just do a letter from the pastor, thank you for your dedicated yeah. giving and so forth, your statements attached, right. you know, prayerfully consider your giving for next year, and that kind of thing. But uh, your donation dates, the individual amounts, the church name and address, that statement I mentioned, no goods or services, and then if you're part of Georgia Baptist, you're covered under our nonprofit status, you can put that Georgia Baptist number and if you don't have that letter, email me. My card's in the folder. Uh, you need that. If you're ever going to Florida, 
Tennessee or somewhere on a mission trip or a retreat, you can save on sales tax. However, in Georgia, you pay sales tax. So you're not, you're not going to save sales tax in Georgia because of having a nonprofit letter, but you can save it in Tennessee and Florida. And that's really just for hotels and things you do or use there. It's not supposed to be for buying something and bringing it back to use in our state. Um, number six, generally the donation made to a specific person for benevolent reasons or not charitable contributions. I actually encourage you not to accept them. Okay. A donor's donation, though, that specifies the name of a person can be, for two reasons, a contribution credit. For services rendered, such as a love offering for a preacher that did revival or somebody that sang, because that's taxable income to them, because it's services rendered. Or for a mission trip that the church controls the money, does not refund any money to anybody, it's only used for mission trip that the church is overseeing. So if, the, if, for example, the youth are going on a mission trip and they all have to raise $500, but the youth minister says, we're going to a mission trip to New York, we're going to go to the Yankees game too, so out of this we're going to pay $50 for people's Yankee tickets and, and meals. That was an outing that actually invalidated their mission fund so their mission fund needs to have clean dollars. This, if, this, if you're going to do that separate, he needs to do that in his youth money fund for reimbursements and things. When kids pay for t-shirts or kids pay for outings or Six Flags tickets or whatever they're going to do, that needs to be over in a different fund. This fund has to be only missions and, like I said, there are no refunds. If somebody says, I can't go on the trip, that's either going to apply to a future mission trip or it's used to spread against everybody else's mission costs. You cannot give a refund out of it. So you can't say if you raise your $200 that was your deposit and you get your $200 back because you raised the $500, then, oh great. <laughs> it, then you can't, um, you can't give them the refund and say that, um, because you raised your money, uh, you don't have to pay the $200 initially. That was one of the right, it says dry erase. <laughs> oh man, I guess I'll be in here tonight, scrubbing the board. Um, but a lot of churches think, well, if it's the mission fund and while we're on the trip, we'll go and do this or go do that. We'll go to Coney Island or we'll go to whatever. You cannot add that into the, if the mission fund gets tainted, then none of it's deductible. Not just the person that got refunded, none of his. You can't. It's everybody. You tainted the fund. It's no longer eligible. Wow. Somebody knows a trick. Uh, let me know after class, okay? That's good. It's fine. Well, that 500 is still showing up, so I'm like, okay. From here, it's not. <laughs> um, okay. So. For services rendered, you know, we have to do a 1099 if it's $600 or more in a year. But, you know, if you have a pastor that comes in and preaches for you and you only pay him $100 for one time, and he's, he's, uh, you may not have to do a 1099. For ministers that do that, I mean, let's warn you, that is taxable. You're supposed to keep up with those things and put it all together with the ones that were over $600 that were from speaking engagements outside your church or for events like weddings or other things. You're supposed to count that as taxable. And that's why they can do the love offering specifically to you. 
So if they did do a love offering, they only took up $100 because you were just there one night or whatever, that's supposed to be taxable, even though you didn't get the 1099. Uh, donations to a non-qualified organization, like a Sunday school class, a WMU, or the Baptist Band, you need to run those outside the church. Uh, WMU or Brotherhood or, or Sunday school class, if they're not running their money through the church, quote-unquote, having the same policies where a group or committee elected by the church oversees it, the handling of it, they don't need to run their money through the church. You shouldn't give contribution credit. My Sunday school class was notorious that they would take up money for some people at Christmas or whatever, and they'd just leave money in an envelope sitting in the Sunday school class. If I was out of town preaching or something else, I'd come back. They'd be, oh, there's some money over there for the... So, but none of that money went through the church. It didn't go through the contribution credits or anything else. So we could choose to help people and pick who we wanted to help. And so... That's why WMU or Brotherhood or other stuff, because they pick and choose what they're going to do. They're not following, uh, well, there must be one deacon on every committee or whatever your policies allow for in your constitution and bylaws. If they're not dictated by that, then they're not part of the church's finances. They shouldn't use the church's uh, 501c3 quote-unquote number for their bank account even. Okay? And I don't want to pass that by. If, if you're not taking care of the money, if you're the treasurer or the financial secretary, if the money's not going through your hands and handled by y'all at the church's financial policies or procedures, that 501c3 uh, EIN, your employer identification number that allows you to open a bank account, that it should only be on accounts that are for the church use only, not for these small groups. They need to use the social... That's what we did in our Sunday school class Unless somebody's writing checks for $15,000 per individual, you're not going to be taxed on it as an individual. I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, if somebody in your church says, oh, what are you saying? I'll be glad to substantiate that. that they're not going to get taxed on it unless somebody's taking up big bucks in their Sunday school class. If that's the case, then they should just give it through the church and the church make the, the decisions and stuff. But um, Number eight, if the donor or donor's immediate family expect to receive a portion of the donation for personal benefit, that's not on the contribution statement. So if you have a scholarship fund and whatever money's in the scholarship fund is going to a kid and this family gives up $10,000 because they have the only senior in school that's going in the church that's going this year to apply and you can't, they can't get a contribution credit, okay? So they can't give to some scholarship fund that benefits their family. Same thing for pastor's appreciation. The pastor's family can't write a check on pastor appreciation day and get a contribution credit. And, and I say that, but the other side of that is he's going to pay taxes on it if you run it through the church. You're better off just handing him a check or giving him cash as an individual that's in his family. You can't give a contribution and get credit to benefit your own family. Um, the church cannot give credit for donors' time services or reduced rent. Those are not deductible. If somebody asks you for a letter about something they did for the church, you can write a letter thanking them. You can't put a value on it, just like if they gave a car. You're not going to value the car. You're not in the appraisal business. You're also not in the business of giving a credit for time and services. You can write a letter. Then they can use receipts for whatever they paid for in providing that service or that um, of their time or whatever. They paid somebody in their CPA firm to do your taxes or whatever for the church or do their payroll. That's one thing, but they can't say, oh, 
we're donating it, but we needed a letter that says we want $2,500 for doing it this year. You can't do that. Lawyers, CPAs, land people moving in those big tractors. Unless they pay somebody else to do it, if it's the guy's, his tractor, his company, unless he's got receipts for anything and he paid somebody else, he can't get a letter saying this is how much you donated. <coughs> if he donates it off of his time, his effort, really the only thing left is the, the gas that he bought to come over there and put it to, put it to work. So the only thing he has a receipt for, unless he pays somebody to ride that tractor and do that. But is it okay, for instance, we have a gentleman in our church who owns a business called Fun Time that they have all the bouncy houses and he does has chairs and stuff. And at homecoming, he, he lets us use his table and chairs. But he builds us for it, we pay it, and then he just gives us a check. I mean, he just makes a contribution. And rightly so. He, I mean, he would okay. get paid because it's going to be taxable to right. him or and his and business. He does. And so then if he wants okay. to if he wants to do, donate it back, that's that's fair, right? But yeah, you can't give him a contribution statement. Let's say he said you don't have to pay me, or he turns the check yeah. back over to right. you. Yeah, I can't do you that. can't do it that way. He that. has to write his own check. Right. So the only thing on your statement when I say cash or cash equivalent has to come from that individual too. So they can't say I'm writing a check for somebody. It has to come from that person. So the only ones that go on your statement are who it's from. And then finally, the donation must be irrevocable by the donor. I, that really should be a financial policy that we do not give refunds. But unfortunately, a lot of churches don't put it in the policies. And so I've had churches fighting over, we don't like how things are going. We don't like this pastor. Or the pastor leaves and starts another church. And all the donors that, that are part of his group that left the church, they want their donations to move over to start this other church. If you put it in your policy that says, donations are not refundable, you're not going to have an argument. He, they're not going to get an attorney and be able to argue with you. Even if they got an attorney, though, legally they have no right to ask for the refund of their donation. A donation is a donation. It's in the church's hands for the church's use. So if they gave it under that premise, they can't say, oh, we don't like this and we're going to start another church with this pastor. We want our money back. They're not eligible to do that. Now, an attorney might help them or because he's a friend of the pastor or that group, but it's not going to win. A 501c3, once received of a donation, is never required to refund a donation unless they cease to exist and something, for some reason, couldn't honor uh, what was requested. And that would be, in, the, in all likelihood, in my mind, you would never want to do that. That would be the, work, the least, least likely thing that would ever happen. Okay? Because... Uh, you have issues of if it was year over year, is there, did you help them under-report their income, then there's penalties for you, they owe back taxes, they owe interest, because if that happened in a previous year and you don't re refund the money, they got to pay taxes on the money and they underreported their income because it was never a donation. So they're going to get doubled down on in penalty-wise. It makes no sense for this to happen. So. Now there'll be attorneys and there'll be CPAs that tell you, well, there's a way to do it. We just have to do this and give them a 1099 and just make it your policy so you don't have to deal with it. But secondly, there should be no excuse because it's supposed to be like the first one, two and four, the use of the church. It should never have been in the hands of, we want to make it do what we want it to do. And if you're not going to do it, we're going to take it and go somewhere else. Just like the mission fund. If, if the people raise their, uh, more than enough money that they get their deposit back, then, then you tainted the whole fund because there's refunds. 
Okay. Um, next, I was going to look at designated funds in this little green book that I promised you you would need. Starting on page three, it talks about a designated fund policy. Designated funds are separate from your general fund. Okay. People cannot donate to your budget line item. They can only donate to your general for the whole budget. Let's just understand, a nonprofit creates a budget by leadership either of committee, trustees, board, elders, or church as a whole. Depends on your congregations and your church's polity, okay, what your policy is. So if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, set your budget based on elders, it's a group of three or more. If you're gonna set your budget based on staff, if you're a staff-led church, it's gotta be three or more. Uh, if you're gonna be congregational polity and vote on your budget, then it has to be approved in the manner that that's called for in your constitution bylaws by a vote of the committee and it can only be changed by such and such and so forth. That's that's a budget, okay, in essence, that's, and he's going to talk about budget with purpose in a little while. No one person can come in and say, I think, let's just say youth, I'll pick on youth, the youth fund doesn't have enough money so I'm going to give $2,000 more to the youth fund or the youth budget line item. Unless you have a separate designated fund, nobody can pick and choose line items in your budget to donate to. It's a general budget. As a nonprofit, it's approved by whatever the policies and polity of you are, your constitution, bylaws, or whatever call for, that's the only way it can change is whatever how that could change. Now somebody could say, I'm going to make a big donation. I wish you would consider amending the budget and increase the youth uh, budget. But you cannot come in and say we take a line item and we want to give money to that line item. Okay, but you just said they could if designate you for benevolence, like okay. if you have a designated fund set up. So anything that's okay. budgeted, they can't pick and choose. You can have a budget and a, line, a budgeted line item that also mirrors a designated fund. So you could have benevolence or youth, and you could have a designated fund okay. if it's approved by the church. If the church has an approved fund, people can give to it if it's allowed in your approval process. You need a policy that says what you allow for every time you set up a fund. So every time you set up a fund, you want a, a two or three paragraph summary of what you allow for or what the, how it's going to be administered, uh, who, how it's going to be expended, and how you're going to close it. Okay. From, from now on, I, if you have funds open right now, you want to close those funds and rewrite them, you can't change what the policy was. You're just saying we're no longer taking dollars under that. Change your policy, write a new fund for, let's say, building fund. If there's no way to close it, then you want to rewrite it with a way to close it. Uh, in this, uh, on page four, there's a summary one that's just for designated funds. If you look at the second paragraph, on the one that it says name of designated fund, it's basically a blank designated fund. But if you look at the, la the second paragraph, just above benevolence fund, the last sentence, should at any time in the future the church vote to close this fund, all money in the fund at that time will go into the general budget of the church. As long as you have that in advance of the dollars coming in, at any time in the future you can choose to vote that and close that fund. If you don't have that in your policies now, all your designated funds, you're going to have legal issues to get at those funds. So if you, if it's determined that you can't use this for whatever reason, maybe we're not going to do Awanas anymore and we have an Awana fund. 
if you don't have that written in, there's no way for you to close that fund except for having some legal assistance. Now, when I say legal assistance, you may talk to an attorney and he'll say, oh, it's this and da-da-da-da, and it's not very much, you don't need to pay anybody. I'm telling you, I'm a CPA, I can't decide what could be defended in court. Okay, so uh, I talked to um, uh, one of the guys today was talking about in some of the funds with the Georgia Baptist Foundation, if it's over 25 years since we've had money come in, any expenditures go out, we write the secretary, um, not secretary, the general attorney of the state or something, get a permission saying these funds have been abandoned, it's an abandoned project fund, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to actually spend anything except for writing the letter. In other cases, you may need to actually go to, and get a court order to do that. It depends on how it was done, how much likely, how likely you are to have to defend it and so forth. You'll have to talk to an attorney if you try to close one without that policy in place. But all the funds you have open now, I would not allow gifts into until I had reset them to say there was a way to close them. Then I would use those old dollars up first because you still have to abide by the policy that was in place initially and then write the new policy so all new dollars go into that if something happens or if you over, let's say you build a building and you over raise enough, you already get enough money, well then there's got to be a way to close it or you're going to be sitting there holding it for future renovations to that building. So I would encourage you, if you have funds open for that, consider rewriting all your funds that don't have a way. Now, I'm one of those minimalists. I do not like to have a bunch of designated funds. I do not want to see a designated fund for every line item in the budget. I don't even really would like to see a line item in the budget that has a mirroring designated fund, except for like if the youth fund would only be used for a youth mission trip. Then it clears out every year after the mission trip is zero. There's no, oh, we're gonna pad this and give around the church budget. And, and that's where my issue is. I think if you're gonna um, have a lot of funds that I would have a lot of funds that were not allowed to be given directly into. That we as a body will vote to move money into those accounts when we have an overage in the general fund. Then if you voted it in as a body, if you need some of it, you don't have to close the fund and move all of it out and then maybe restart it. You can just vote some of what you voted in out. So if you voted 10000 over this and you know it's still five years away from happening, and you needed 5000 to put a new air conditioner on the old building, you could go in and vote 5000 back out. But if it was given by an individual, you can't borrow it. Designated funds are not for borrowing. That's a misappropriation of funds. So if you voted it in, you can vote it out. But if individuals gave it, so I don't like to have a lot of funds that people can give into. And let me just say, because of that, people give around them the budget for whatever reason. Their pet ministry or they don't like somebody that's in a leadership position, whatever it is. If we have to shut the doors, that designated fund ain't gonna mean anything because we can't keep the lights on or we can't pay the pastor or we can't pay the whole staff if everybody has to leave or whatever. So um, I'm just warning you that designated funds, they have a place, but I'd like to not see a myriad. I, I literally was at a, at a conference last night in an association up in North Georgia and um, the pastor came over and he said, well, you know, I, I started to bring it, but I didn't want to bring it because I didn't want you to have a heart attack. He has three pages of designated funds. I said, how long is your budget? About the same. 
three pages of designated funds. Anytime somebody writes a check to you, if you don't have a designated fund in advance, you need to hold that money out and say, look, we don't have a fund. Because officially, you can't put it on their, on their contribution. They can't get a contribution until you have a designated fund for them to give it to, because they're trying to dictate to the five, remember what I said, just like in the budget, they can't dictate, they can't dictate to you to have a designated fund. They can request it, so you'd hold the check, or you ask them if you, they want to hold it or you want to hold it, but first we have to have a designated fund, or you're not going to get credit. Okay, so you're doing it for the benefit of both, because also the church may say, no, we don't want a water cooler in that room. Yes, sir. I have a question. You mentioned a credit for contribution. That doesn't always mean um, that it's a tax-deductible donation. Am I correct about that? Well, they're all tax-deductible if they're eligible to be a contribution credit. The problem is some people aren't able to itemize, so they don't always get to count it. But if, if anything that you would put on your contribution statement as a contribution credit is tax-deductible if you're eligible to deduct. So some people, because of the new tax laws, aren't deducting, and so I've tried to tell people there's no, there's really no reason why we can't go help individuals. What I'm getting to on benevolence, if you, because there's really no reason because most people aren't itemizing anyway. Just go help the person, give them money or buy stuff for them or whatever they need. You don't need to run it through the church so you can get it on your statement. Your statement is only as good as if you need it on your on your taxes. Ninety-five percent of the people don't itemize anymore. So they don't need that statement. Now, unfortunately, on the other side of that, it's led to a lot of people not giving. And I, I fear if we go through a recession, which is, that's what happens, okay? It doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how they change the interest rate. It doesn't matter everybody. Just understand this. The economy does this. It goes through ups and downs. There's going to be a recession, whether it's, next year whether it's five years whether it's this month okay whenever it starts happening a recession is going to happen if we're in one of those down things the tax law that has changed where people aren't able to itemize that then in their mind impacts where they have to cut back okay they don't have to have this deduction because they've got a higher standard deduction in their minds they may stop giving so people that were already not tithing will justify in another way and they're not able to deduct it so it is the when you say it's it's yes and no they most people aren't getting accounted anyway but if it fits that contribution credit statement it is eligible for deductibility they just may not be able to deduct it because they don't have enough deductions okay. the other part is um, you know you mentioned earlier that if someone um, wants to uh, donate you know to you know, to, you know, to some you know to some designated well, no, no I'm sorry to some fund at a church but then there's no designated fund for it then then uh, then that the donation is not uh, tax deductible am I correct yeah if, if you don't have a if you don't have a designated fund in advance that's why I'm saying don't don't cash the check because they're not going to get credit. Okay, so you're right. If, they, if the fund's not in existence already and they write a check, they can't dictate to the church, hey, you've got to open a fund. They need the fund to be approved by the church before you put the check in. Okay. And, and uh, it's just like giving to a budget line on. They can't do that. They can't also say, give them to this designation because this designation doesn't exist yet. The church hadn't said they wanted to do that. 
But if you hold the check or they hold the check and the church decides they want to do it, then they can get a deduction. But it's like changing the, uh, and I don't know if all of you is old enough, but some of you are as old as me. Uh, when we when we used to have the long distance checks, we'd get a check in the mail for a hundred dollars, and you sign that check and go cash it. And all of a sudden, you're not using AT and T for long distance; you're using Enron or whomever. So everybody got switched just by cashing a check. It's legal tender. So if we cash that check and they don't get credit, they're going to be mad at the church. But secondly, the church may say, "We're not going to do it. We don't want a water cooler in that room." And he gave money to the water cooler fund for the fellowship hall. We're not putting a water cooler in there. That's not part of our plans. And so now we've got money we can't use. And we've got an individual who's mad because they're not getting it on their contribution statement. So hold the checks out. You need your counters to understand. And she'll talk about counters tomorrow. But the counters need to look at a list of designated funds. If there's not a fund set up, that check needs to wait till next week at least. Maybe there's the list hasn't been updated or whatever. But set that check aside and find out why or find out if you need to share it or hold it until you get a fund set up. Or you may be sending them the check back. And I had a pastor just scream last night when I said send a check back. I mean, he didn't scream literally, but he was like, no, we don't send donations back. That's insulting the donor. I'm like, no, no, no. You'll insult the donor if you take his money and don't do what he said and don't give me a contribution. <laughs> That's an insult. The other way, you're helping him. You just need to learn to explain it to him. You send the send a deacon or send somebody to go explain. We don't have this fund yet. Here's a way we can get one. Or, if you want, you can have the check back. We you won't get credit, and I don't have approval from the church to do it, so we can't do it yet. If I put this check through, we're both at risk. We're both exposed. So, uh, a designated fund has to exist before the money goes in. Whatever wording's in place follows when that check went through. So like I was saying, if you don't have a way to close it, if you put money in the bank, you can't close it without legal assistance. If you stop all money's going into the old way, you write all funds new that have a way to close them, use these first, then you can close these if you need to, should you need to. Hopefully you never need to. Because I would like to, like I said, I'm a minimalist, so I'd like to have two, three, designated funds but I use one mission fund for all the mission trips the youth mission trip I use the mission fund for the adult mission trip it's an in and out so by the time they finish the trip they've raised their money we paid it out and that trips over it's like a sub account of the mission fund I just write it off it's gone okay so it's not something that just stays open and has money in it because it's done if it if if I've got a way to close it to the general budget of the church I can vote to sit, to move it over. Uh, other churches like to say, if we raise it for missions, we'll just use it for the next mission trip. So whatever your policy dictates would be there, but I, would, I wouldn't have a youth mission trip fund, an adult mission trip fund, and a da, 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 da. I like to just have one mission trip fund, or one missions fund. I even run Lottie and Annie through the same fund with that also. Because it's in and out. You're taking it up, you're doing it, and then you pay it out. So, um, that said, I've, I've told you on the bottom of page four, there's a basic one there. In every one of your designated funds, you need a policy that says how you're going to use it, whether you're going to allow contributions, because this one says that the church welcomes contributions to the fund. Maybe you say, church does not accept contributions directly to the fund. It will be uh, 
it will be funded by overages in the general fund as vote of the church. Something to that effect. Uh, the administration of the fund says how the disbursements are made, and it could be a committee or the church as a whole. And then also, in, when we wrote this book, if you didn't have a policy, then you would have it in this. The committee may consider recommendations for anyone, but in no event is the committee bound in any way to honor it, and no one would be uh, able to recover a contribution if you didn't honor it. You want people to know, if they're given to that fund, it's their responsibility to know what the fund's write-up is. Now, you would have it sitting at the church office. Here's the policy. If you had a building fund, you were doing a building fundraiser, somebody could come and read, what is the building fund? Oh, there's a way to close it. I don't know if I want to give to that. Well, then you don't have an argument. You know, they're not going to come. But if they give to it and they don't know what it's for, that's their responsibility. They should have come and read the, the policy. So um, once you approve a policy, that follows for every dollar after. Okay? Um, the problem is with benevolence, and, and that's where churches get in trouble. In benevolence, we can't take up money, as I mentioned earlier, we can't take up money specifically for an individual. So if somebody has a need in our church, we can't take up for them. Is anybody here the pastor? So I can... Okay, there's nobody's going to say they're the pastor of the church. Okay, <laughs> just checking. The pastor, the pastor is going to tell you. Well, it says scripturally we're supposed to help the widows, the orphans, and those of the body more so, and, and members of the body also. Yes, but there's nothing in the scripture that says about a contribution credit. So we have to lean back on to keep our 501c3 to not have to pay taxes on every dollar that comes in the church. We have to follow a policy. And that policy is the benevolence fund. Now, I'm going to tell you how to do go around it for benevolence, then explain a benevolence fund. But it, to, to go around it, the pastor can tell Sunday school classes to do their own things to help this family in need. And you still do the benevolence. They get help through the same policy that you help everybody else. But they can't be treated as we're taking up an offering for an individual. It can be the Sunday school classes doing their own thing, helping the individual. The pastor can say, our benevolence fund as a nonprofit requires us that we help people in need. We've helped Johnny and Betty as much as we can, but their needs far greater than our policy allows for so that we keep our nonprofit status. Deacon such and such or sister such and such knows how you can help more. And that's what the body's called them is to help each other. And he can explain and he can use whatever the script. If I say I'll be wrong, so I'm not going to even guess. But he can say what the scripture is and say, talk to deacon such and such or sister such and see how you can help. You're not saying they're taking up money. Now that may be what they're doing, but you're sending them to do those things. Also, the church can go to uh, the local bank like, like you see on the news when something happens to a police officer or somebody and we take up money or a, a fallen soldier. We take up money for their family for scholarship funds. That's in that church, that church or the, whoever that group set it up. They went and put it in that person's name and social security number. So we go and say, we've set up an account at Regions Bank. Go there and help. They have a far greater need than we help with our benevolence fund because we have a policy that we have to, to do to match the government's requirements so that we're not taxed on every dollar that comes in the church. And we're doing the maximum we can for them. So now they're great, their need is far greater. Let's go give it this bank account. Now they, that's how GoFundMe started. GoFundMe, and I'm not trying to, if anybody works for GoFundMe, I'm not being negative. GoFundMe makes 3%. Yes, okay, you can go to the bank and they won't charge you when they find out it's to help a family in need. They'll let you set up a bank account with that family and that person's social security number. 
And then you can announce it on announce it in the pulpit. Hey, there's a bank account. We've helped as much as we can, allowed by the nonprofit laws. But I and you should all, as brothers and sisters in Christ, go and, and help this family. And you can send them there. You can put it on TV and put it on radio, whatever it is. So that's another way to do it. There's ways around. Okay, we can't take up for an individual. That said, every church in here, at some time, whether it was now or when you before you were in in charge of finances, has done it. Okay, uh, don't do it anymore. <laughs> um, a benevolence fund has to be able to to assist, and the indefinite charitable class. It needs to have a policy and a procedure, and it have an application process so that you can make sure that people have a need. There's actually a a document that says benevolent policy and procedure sample. You can cut and paste that off of our website. Uh, you can take this one and write on it because you can go print it off our website a hundred times. But you need an application process. I've put in here a sample brief application and a sample detailed application. It's up to you to decide how much you want in the application, but even your members must fill out the application. Okay, we've got to be objective in our decision not just the members only. We can have in the application multiple things that could be not quite as objective. You could say the person has to be referred by a member. You can say the person has to uh, believe in Jesus Christ. But you can't make them come to your church. And you can't make them be a member of your church. You have to be able to help an indefinite charitable class. Okay? Uh, so, in your application, you can put what you want to put in. I, I don't prefer saying uh, that they have to have to put that they're a believer. I see benevolence as an evangelistic tool. That's my that's my philosophy. That's not a that's just my two cents worth. You can put it on there. So if you say that, then only people that subscribe to it. But guess what? You're never going to get a chance to share with that person. If if you say you got to check this box that you're a believer, they're just going to check it. I would prefer to say they have to have uh, an interview by one of the staff or one of the lay leaders and that gives them a chance to share the gospel with them. I would rather do that than just to make it a, a check-in box equivalent. But you can also say a referral from a member, which that member then would also be able to tell you that, that this person has a true need. So that helps you a little bit with the screening process. So if you want to say they have to have a referral by a member, you can. <clears throat> you cannot say they have to be a member. An indefinite charitable class is, is just that. It's, it's not easily defined. And so your membership or, or three-mile radius of the church is easy, easily defined. But a county, that's not easily defined. So you could say this county or that county, or you could say this school district and that school district. You can't say only one school district. So if it was like this, son, this elementary school that's right here, it, you couldn't just say the people that live right here around this this school. So <clears throat> you got ways to put delimiters in there. You also want to get in your application, you want picture ID. You want to be able to see who it is because unfortunately we found that people that like to scam and they'll come in with a different ID so that the picture still looks like them. They can't change how they look most of the time. <laughs> Some people can, but you know what I'm saying? It takes a it's gonna take a lot more to change to change the way, they, the way they look. But if they've just got a picture ID with a different name on it and they fill out a different, a different application, you may or may not be able to determine that need. 
So I, I like to have a picture ID and I like to share it with the local, with my associational churches so that you can all work together to make sure that there, if there's somebody going around using the church, and I'm sorry, I want to use that, using the church. They're not needing the church, they're using the church. And uh, if they're using churches, I want to be able to, I mean, I think we need to protect God's money that much that we need to make sure people aren't scamming churches. Um, so we have the application process. I would say a driver's license or some picture ID. Uh, if they say they don't have a picture ID, and that could happen, you can ask, well, then would you submit and have your picture taken so we can put it in our records because we have to have a picture of who we helped. Uh, they usually will do that most of the time. You know, most of the time they're okay with that. You need to say what you're going to do on the application so that if they put on there they need tires for their car, if that's not what you do, if you only do utility bills, power, water, and gas, mortgage payments or rent, or, or hospital bills, then you can't put tires on people's cars. If you're going to help with whatever it is and you leave it wide open, I don't know how you can help an indefinite charitable class for an indefinite kinds of ways to help them. And I've, I've heard churches come back and say, well, we just help till we run out of money. Well, who all did you help? Well, this member needed heat help three times. This is and that they, they ran out of money by the end of winter in January through March. They've ran out of money, and they only help members. If a, if an auditor comes through with that, you don't have a true benevolence fund. Okay, you didn't have enough money to help an indefinite charitable class. You obviously just helped who you wanted to because you only helped members only. There had to be other people that would have wanted to, or as the year went on, you didn't have enough money set aside, so you should have went to a lower value. So you, instead of saying we just help, period, you say we help up to $250 per, per person per year, or one time or two times per year up to 250 You know, whatever y'all do, you come up with what's a, a legitimate amount because if you're not helping anybody outside the church and you're audited, you probably will get it disallowed. Okay? It needs to be a true policy that's objective. Now, you may not get applications. If you don't get applications, that's, I mean, some of you may live in churches where you don't see people walking by and you don't have people walking by and asking for help. Uh, the other side of this is, well, let me get to the end. Uh, let's go through the process on that page. The interview process, I would say you go through and find out what they've got, what their needs are, and then I would take a time to share Christ with them. If, the, if there's somebody you know in your church, I still would have a, 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 a discussion so that you know that they know that they know. <laughs> okay, um, not saying that they don't because they have a need, but but also so that it lets them know that you know this is God's money, God's helping you, not I'm helping you. Um, <clears throat> In that, also, you know, make sure they know that this hope that's in Christ, you want to also find out, you know, if their other family and friends couldn't help them. Do I really, do they really need a thousand dollars or do you not have family or something that could help you? Do you, have you checked with such and such? Uh, in, in some of the churches, there's, there's a place in the community they require them to go there first. It's a community outreach center first before we make our decision because we need to know how much they're going to help you. Because we know they'll help you. You have to go here to give certification and we get a letter from them saying we've already helped them this, with this or this. So that they can't bring the same bill in, but also it tells you, hey, they certified that the need was real. It gives you another layer of assurance that the person has a true need. 
um, then have a decision process and, I, and it needs to be approved by three or more people one person does not run the benevolence discretionary funds by the pastor are the pastor's income it needs to be three or more people the pastor can be on it and the pastor can send the application via email you don't have to have a meeting to make decisions about this you can make decisions that very day for emergency needs you email the application to everybody say I just interviewed this guy or this woman or this family and they have a true need and I've got their uh, a copy of their bill sitting right here and we can go and pay it if, if y'all are all on board with that they can send back their approvals you can do something the same day so their power doesn't get cut off or whatever it is so it's not like I've had churches say well we have to have a meeting no you don't have to have a meeting okay this does not stop you from helping people on the on the spot so you have and I get this a lot a person whose power is fixing it kind of and you you have them fill this out mm -hmm. and you email everybody in a day and you get an answer in a day oh in an hour if you're on the committee you're expected to check your email no, I'm not talking about the committee I'm talking about the person who like the financial counseling how do you get all of that done I mean how do you know this person doesn't have a gambling addiction and well you can't you can't be hundred percent when you make this decision now you can say in our policy we don't help same day but I'm saying there is a way because I have churches that complain there's no way we can do this in the day you can you're just not going to be able to do it to the nth degree if if they fill out the application and, and you got a, somebody a discerning person sitting across from the table from them and they feel confident that this is a need or they brought their pink slip in where they were laid off on Friday they can send out the email and, and three out of five people have responded we've got a majority we can go help them today now again it doesn't give you all the nth degree if you choose to do the nth degree that's your policy you are welcome to handle your policy further stringent but I'm just trying to make it too also simple because I've had the complaint we can't be responsive in a timely fashion this way and I said no 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 in the electronic age yeah. You can have a meeting electronically and have an answer in an hour. So it's it's it is it's really up to you to decide is this what we want. And like the like I was mentioning, this one church that I know they use the Hope House, which is an area in their area. The Hope House screens people, decides how to help them, and then once they've been helped, they have a sheet of paper. That either have you been in the Hope House? Well, you need to bring your paper, or we can call them if you've lost your paper. If you help, got help earlier in the day, and we I got in a wreck, and now my car is broke too, or blah blah blah. We can find out what that decision was. So I mean, there's there's ways to work with uh, instantaneous or, or or quick response because sometimes people keep hoping that this is going to work out, or they keep hoping they're going to get. Uh, something's going to come through maybe the job they thought they were going to get they're going to get paid early or they could get an advance and they didn't get the advance whatever it is um, there's ways to do it earlier or you can make your policy where it's not and and literally you have to come in and fill out application it will be reviewed and then you will you will we'll make awards on every monday every second monday of the month or something it really is up to the church I was just trying to make it a simple one because churches, that's been the biggest complaint. If we got to do all this, we can't do it if somebody has an emergency. Well, there is a way to help people in an emergency. In the electronic age, an application, it shouldn't get in the way of that. So, um, 
That's a good point, though. You can make it more stringent than any of the things I've said. There are ways to make it more stringent. You're giving away money. This is not like there's... Uh, this is not, or not, you should not give away money, by the way. By the, I should have said that. You're helping people in need. You pay their bills so that you have proof of how you helped them. So, um, but you're helping people in need. And so they have, they have there's no quote unquote uh, law that protects them and says if they do, only they only have to do this and this and you have to give them money. There's not a law like that, okay? If your policy says you're going to do it this way and you treat everybody the same, there's nothing they can say or do about it. Now, if you mistreat them or treat them differently than members, yeah, they could actually go and report you. That's why you need to be objective and handle all the applications in an in a, uh, objective manner. But if we're called on to help the body in a different way, then I go and I pull it out of my pocket and I help with everybody else. We go do that as brothers and sisters, we go help them. We don't do it as collecting a plate and getting it on a contribution statement. Okay, and I made anybody mad. And then finally, you wanna follow up. Once the decisions are made, you keep the paperwork, you have to know how you helped them. You need receipts for what you did to pay for, for anything to help them. If you go, uh, if, if there's a policy that says, okay, if somebody comes and they need gas, we will help somebody up to so much per tank of gas. We get the application, we send it to the people, we go down and get the receipt. Or you can have so many QT cards that are set aside for that and we will help up to $20 of gas. And if the person makes application for gas, then you don't have to go follow them down there and buy the gas. Or in small enough towns, sometimes you got a relationship with the manager of that store and they'll put gas in it for them. You can call down there and say, this person's coming, they've got a letter, give them $20 worth of gas or $25 worth of gas up to $25 and then they'll bill you. I've, I've got that happening in that small, one of the small towns, they can call if they put people up, like somebody got released from jail and they, they'll, okay, we'll pay for one night if you go by the Hope House. Well, if they do that and they put them up, they just call that hotel and say, I'm sending this person over, they have the paperwork and they just build the church. So you don't even have to go over there to pay the, to take the credit card or anything. So. Those are the best ways or best practices to try to manage benevolence. Benevolence can't be taking it up for the individual. It can't be we're passing it through the body or the nonprofit because we jeopardize us, ourselves, and we jeopardize uh, doing something uh, just for members only. And so I, I would say, you know, to me, uh, the biggest thing that churches like to do is we want to help the body. Well, again, we can help the body in different ways, and we don't have to get. To, but with the new tax laws, the, contrib the contribution is not a big deal. So just go help them. Um, other day, I handed some money out the window, and my son said, "He goes, you don't usually do that." And I said, "No, I don't usually do that." But he really looked like he had need. Um, and truthfully, people don't itemize and stuff. And I, I mean, I give my 10% to the church, but if if you don't make a lot of money, 10% doesn't get you high enough to itemize. So I think we ought to do charity over and above. And he really like he had a need. I don't always do it, but if somebody really looks like they have a need and they really look honest about how, why they're asking, then I will try to help somebody. Uh, he had his, he got his car hood up and it was broke down and he was asking for help. He was gonna go to the auto zone. Don't sit next to the window. Uh, uh, 
but he was he was trying to fix his car. He was going to go get a belt and fix his car and other stuff. And, and he goes, do you know how to do it? And I said, I don't. And, you know, I, I went in and gave him some money. So, I think we should have to rely on God's discernment there, too. Yeah. He lets us know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, but... So for, for benevolence, we need to be objective in all the records. On, in the booklet, go back to the, the booklet, there's a, on page five, there's a list of things you need to keep. Uh, the benevolence community or the church as a whole needs to keep in case you have a benevolence practice. And that is a complete, it's at the top of the page on page five. Okay, the second paragraph. You need to keep a complete description of the assistance. So you need to keep the application, the the uh, copy of the invoice or receipt or thing that you got from them, uh, the purpose for which the aid was given. So if there was a if there was a reason you did or didn't choose somebody, you need to keep up with that. Uh, the church or benevolent committee's objective criteria. So if you have some criteria that certain things are not or will will or will not be uh, considered, you need to have those things documented. Okay, if there's a reason why we don't do certain things or if we make decisions based on if people didn't need it or had family members that were part of the church or whatever, you can't do that. So that's the number six. But anyway, how the recipients were selected, if, if you've turned down people, this is really important. So you need to make sure that if, you're, if you turn down some applicants, how did you choose certain other applicants? You know, you need to be clear that, hey, we did really use objective criteria. Name, address, and amount distributed or assisting a person, and then any relationship between a recipient, officer, director, or a key employee, or a substantial contributor to the church. You would be surprised. Um, sometimes churches have the the members only thing, which is not right. But they, we even have some some cases where they like to override it based on somebody's family member giving so much, or somebody else's family member is a staff person. Blah blah blah. And we cannot do that. We have to have an objective staff. policy. What about staff? Staff can only be helped to the same extent as you help other people. So if if, a, if the youth minister needs help, in the same breath, I, I just told you about my Sunday school class. Our youth minister had a need at Christmas that year. Um, and I'm not going to go too far in detail because you might. I don't want to give away their personal stuff, but their need was a situation and. Uh, our Sunday school class knew about it, and the Sunday school class decided this is the family we're adopting for Christmas this year, and they gave all their money to do that. Now, if it's us in the Sunday school class, we can do that, and it's not taxable. But if the church had decided they wanted to help the youth minister and his family, then it would it would have had this in some shape, form, or fashion re resulted in some sort of taxable salary. salary. I mean, you'd have to say it was a bonus of some sort. And if you start doing that, then you have the issue of where do we draw the line with who we help and who we don't help. If the youth minister's issue was medical or his spouse or whatever, and the children's minister, his car broke down, and now he has no way to get to work because he and his wife need to work, where do you draw the line? Okay, so then we start helping all the staff and it's all extra taxable income. So. Staff can be assisted, but they can only be assisted to the ex extent that you help any other objective person. You can't help staff any differently than you help others. Is there any other questions? So if you had you people in the congregation that were giving a check specifically to that person, 
that allowable? It's not. No. Only for services rendered. So if they gave to the pastor or the youth pastor, if y'all had a fund set up that said staff support or something else where you gave extra money, the people could get a love offering extra money and you had approved it through whatever policy of three or more people in the committee, you could take up money for that as long as they weren't related to the person people could give and get credit. But for a benevolent situation where somebody said we want to give to such and such, no. You can't, they can't pick and choose and they can't give to individuals through the church only for uh, services rendered, which is taxable, or for the mission trip. That's the only time you can put a name on the memo line. Now, churches, I, I said, every church in here has done it. It may not have been on your watch while you were in charge, but every church in here has done it. it and in the old days, that's what churches always did. And when I started teaching this and I, and we prevented, presided the books and the explanation, well, we never got in trouble. Just because you did 85 on, on Highway 285, doesn't if you didn't get caught and didn't get in trouble, doesn't mean you didn't break the law. So, understand, I'm not telling you that you're going to get caught, but I am telling you, if I want to do it so that in the, in, the, in the sense of that I know for a fact that if I was audited, I did it to the best of my ability, and if I made an honest mistake, auditors are not going to hang you. Okay, so if you make an honest mistake, they're not going to hang you. But if you're doing stuff wrong and you know that you know that it's wrong, it's going to get you in trouble. And I don't want to. I don't want that to be a reflection in the church to think differently. But uh, that's. I mean, that's a. It happens in every church. So you're asked a question that literally happens in every church. Yeah, there's no church exempt. Now it may be exempt while while she was the treasurer or she was the treasurer, but that church did it sometime in the past. Every church has. Any other questions? Let me pray us out of here because there's a break and I get to uh, get to go to see my daughter. I get to run to the car in the rain to get to run see my daughter right quick. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for the churches. Thank you for the people who have sacrificed their time to come to the training, and thank you for their hearts to to uh, make sure that your your offerings are use for your kingdom. Dear Lord, I just pray for revival in our community, in our state, and in our nation. In the world, dear Lord, I just pray for revival because it's only going to be brought through you. And we just thank you. We thank you for the salvation you provide. Pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.